But for those of you who are new, welcome. Uh, for those of you who are watching from home or outside, we've been going through a series of hope. You know, and I think hope is something that is desperately needed today, especially when, you know, we sang that song that God provides a way. Because a lot of times in our lives, we're taking a look at the future. We're taking a look at our options. And it seems like every single path that we're thinking about um, taking is blocked, right? Or how many times have you thought you saw an opening and you started walking towards it, then all of a sudden, boom, there's a roadblock. And, and you're saying, you know, God, what's going on here? And, and this is why we need hope. And today, we're going to talk about hope for the underdog. So if you take a look at I have several um, pictures here, and you might all react to them very differently. So could you show the first picture? Who's this? This is Rocky, right? You know, one of the most, to me, inspiring movies of, you know, that era. Because it showed this one person who wanted to be a boxer, absolutely no training. He trained, you know, he, he had no, he didn't have nice training facilities. You know, he would get up and he, he would do those one-arm push-ups. Remember those? And we'd all try to do those. And it's like, ah, we can do these one-arm push-ups. I tried to do it the other day and to see if I could still do it. I went like this and I did a face plant, you know, on the ground. I just couldn't do it. But remember, he, what did he have for breakfast? Raw eggs. He just put all of these eggs in and just chugged raw eggs, right? But in his first fight with Apollo Creed, what happens? He just gets knocked down, knocked down, and pummeled, you know? In real life, this would have never happened. They would have stopped the fight long before he got a chance to um, even come close to winning, right? But he kept on getting up, right? He was this tremendous underdog who was no training, formal training, going up against what? The champ of the world, right? And so he's the underdog. Next one, Rudy, right? Did any of you see the movie Rudy? Yeah, some of you have seen it. And here's this guy who wants to play on Notre Dame, uh, the football team, right? And they are one of the most prestigious football programs in the United States. He, he could have picked a lot of other schools, but he wanted, he chose Notre Dame. And here this guy suffered from dyslexia. And so he couldn't get, um, they rejected him because of his grades. And so he had to go into the armed services, but he still had a dream to play for Notre Dame. But outside that, the dude was only five foot six, right? And maybe about 160 pounds, right? Now you're playing Division I football, Notre Dame, you need to be a lot bigger than that. You know, you're going to get killed, right? But then that was his dream, and he never gave up on his dream. Now this, unlike Rocky, was a real story, right? Well, he didn't give up. He did not let um, these roadblocks or his dyslexia or his size um, stop him from accomplishing, you know, his dream. Of course, he never went on to play in the NFL, but he was able to play I'm not a starter, but his a dream came true. The next one, Cinderella. You know, and this is um, way back when I was a kid. We saw this, you know, animation. But Cinderella, right here, she is uh, orphan, living with her stepmother with uh, what 
three mean stepsisters, right? And, and so it's like, man, she just didn't have any breaks. And this is why whenever a, uh, we see a sporting team who is doing well as an underdog, what do they call it? They, it's a Cinderella story, right? It's a Cinderella story. And we see that a lot in sporting. And the way they describe people overcoming their um, uh, deficiencies and to go and win a championship, it's so rare, that's why they call it the Cinderella story. And it all comes from this, because it's like, well, Cinderella had no chance, right? And then what happens? Well, she has a, meets a very godmother, she turns into this beautiful uh, princess and marries the prince and lives happily ever after. And it all started from this one. Next one, the underdog. Now, I, I didn't put the old one in, cartoon because most of you kids wouldn't even know what that was. And so this is the more modern version of what? The underdog, right? And, and when you think about it, Americans are enamored with the underdog, right? And we relate to the underdog, so a lot of times we root for the underdog. You know, how many times when you're watching a sporting event or you're watching any competition, Right? And you're not invested in any of the team. It's not whether it's our, my team or the home team. Who do we normally root for? Well, a lot of times I root for the underdog, right? And, and a lot of times we ourselves can relate because we feel like we're the underdog, and so we root for the underdog. And another reason this came out in a study is the reason why Americans always or like to root for the underdog is people find more joy in unexpected successes. People find more joy in unexpected successes. So let's say football season just started, right? College football, right? And if Alabama wins the national title, it's like, no big deal. You know, they're the number one ranked team in the nation. So if Alabama wins, everyone's going to say, ah, we expected it, right? But let's say a team that's not even ranked in the top 25 in the AP poll takes the championship. That's totally unexpected. And those are the things that we root for. Now, some of us might take a look at ourselves and say, you know what? Yeah, I get that. But I really don't feel like I'm an underdog. Maybe, you know, at school, I might not be the best, but I'm doing okay. You know, um, my workplace, well, okay. I haven't accomplished all of the things I wanted to accomplish. But, you know, my career is going, you know, it's not going that bad, right? And, and so you might not feel an underdog in, let's say, your other activities in your life, but you feel like an underdog spiritually, right? And I run into that so many times where it seems like we have a lot of confidence in ourselves when it comes to career, academics, or, or whatever it might be. But when it comes to our faith, and I ask them, hey, could you do this? Do you want to do this? And, you know, the, a lot of the response that I get from people is, well, you know, I don't think I could get it right. Or, you know, God can't use me. Or I'm just so inadequate. And so a lot of us feel like we are the underdog in our faith. And this is the last place where we need to feel like we're the underdog. We should never feel like we're the underdog when it comes to our faith. Why? 
because we have the most powerful being in the universe empowering us to do what he wants us to do. So, so many times, you know, when I ask, so what's God's will in your life? I don't know. Or you would choose something that's fairly simple, right? Because it's like you, we can't comprehend us doing something that's beyond what our own capability is, especially with our faith. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a, an individual that was kind of like a Rudy, who God used him to change the world. And God wants to use each and every one of you sitting here today to change the world. Maybe not in a big way, like, you know, some figures, but, you know, if you just make these changes in the world around you, the people around you, who knows what changes they might make, you know, as they live their life. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to 1 Samuel 9, starting with verse 1. 1 Samuel 9, starting with verse 1. And it writes, There was a Benjamite, a man standing, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bacharath, the son of Aphiah of Benjamin. Now Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome as a young man could be, could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than everyone else. Now, a little background here. You know, Israel, was old, when they became a nation, they, were, they, they um, were ruled under a theocracy, meaning that God was their king, right? And then, but as Israel looked around at the other nations, they were saying, you know what, these, all these nations, they have a human king. We want a human king. Right? And so God told Samuel, okay, if these people want a human king. These are going to be the consequences. Right? And he spelled out the consequences, which really weren't good, but the people still wanted a human king. The people did not want God to be their king. And so God allowed them to choose a king. And who did they cho- choose? They chose somebody who was handsome and a head taller than anybody else. Right? Because this was their version of a king. No country wanted, or they certainly didn't want an underdog for a king. So they got somebody who was tall, dark, and handsome. And that was their choice of a king. Now, however, we see that Saul, you know, disobeyed the Lord several times. And the last time he disobeyed um, God, God said, okay. This is it. You know, I'm going to take his um, reign from him, and I'm going to give it to somebody else. And, it, and he says that I'm going to give it to a man who has my heart. And I guess you know who that was, right? And so, so basically, um, Saul was going to be removed from office. Okay, and so they need to, Samuel needs to find a new king. So God told Samuel to go to Bethlehem um, to a guy na- named Jesse. And it go, one of his sons is going to be the new king. So we first see his first son come out to present himself to Sam- Samuel, Eliab. And Samuel go, okay, for sure, this is the king. And God said, no, this is not the guy I want. You know, and probably Samuel's confused. 
goes, this guy's perfect, right? And then I said, okay, God doesn't want this guy. Abinadab comes forward. And Simon says, okay, this guy. <laughs> and God says, no, not this guy. Now, I don't know about what Samuel was thinking, but Samuel was probably confused because he's looking at these guys and surely that these guys would make a good king. Surely the Lord would choose them. But what do we see in um, 1 Samuel 16, 7, verse 7? But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Did you see what um, God told Samuel here? Do not consider his appearance or his height. Because why? That's what the nation of Israel did with Saul. They, comp- uh, they considered his appearance, that he was a very handsome man. Okay? They considered his height because he was a head taller than everybody else. Nobody wants a Napoleon for a king, Right? I mean, you don't want the short little hobbit-type person representing your nation, right? And they were no different. They were no different. They wanted tall, dark, and handsome. But what did God say? Immediately, immediately, he said, do not consider his appearance or his height. Why? Because God does not look at the outward appearance. Now, this is a great, this gives us great hope as an underdog. Because we were grown, we all grew up in a society that defined what beauty or being handsome looked like, right? We all know no one had to tell us. We all look in the mirror and we could say, okay, I am not what this, our culture deems as handsome or pretty. I'm not any of those. And that's tough growing up, especially when we live in a country that defines people by those things. But praise God, he doesn't look at those things. And really, whose praise is more important? The people around you or God? Now, I get it. When you're growing up, when you're a teenager, it's really like, okay, I know that in my head that what God thinks of me is important. But really... It's the people around me that are saying things about other people and how pretty they are, how smart they are. You know, that's the important thing, right? So those are the things that we struggle with. But it says that, you know, God told Samuel, those are the things I don't look at. So if you're here today and you feel that you don't have what it takes in the world's eyes, that's okay because God doesn't look at God doesn't care about how smart you are. I mean, look who he chose for his disciples. He chose fishermen who were uneducated. He didn't choose the best of society, the smartest and brightest of society to be his disciples. He chose uneducated fishermen. Actually, the one who was probably the most qualified to be his disciples turned around and betrayed him, right? Because what? God looks at the heart. So we see Samuel anointing, anointing David um, as a king. Now, fast forward, um, Israel comes into contact with this nation called the Philistines, okay? And the, for 40 days, the Philistines taunted them. And why? Because they had this one 
warrior called Goliath. Now, Goliath was nine feet tall, okay, nine feet tall. And the guy wore about 175 to 200 pounds of armor. Man, you put that at me, and I'm like this. I couldn't move one inch if you put 175 pounds to 200 pounds of armor on me. And he had the spear, and the tip of his spear was 25 pounds. So could you imagine throwing a spear with it? Just the tip was 25 pounds? If I do that right now, it would go from here, and it would probably land right here. You know, land two feet in front of me. There's no way I could throw that. And he also had a shield bearer that went before him. And a shield bearer was the one who carried the shield that pretty much is this rectangular shield that covered his entire, you know, body. So this was Goliath. And Goliath was taunting them. Why? Because this wasn't going to be an army versus army fight. This was going to be winner take all. So, of course, the Philistines took their uh, warrior, Goliath, right? Now, Israel had to choose somebody, and they were going to fight. And whoever won the fight, they would win that battle. Okay, so at that time, David was too young to fight. So he was back home tending his sheep. But his father, Jesse, now he was concerned about, you know, his other sons who were on the battlefront, right, on the front lines. So he sends David to go check up on them and to bring them some food staples to his brother, right? So he sends David, you know, go check on your brothers, and I want you to bring them these things. Now, David was, you know, too young to be in the army, so he probably never even heard of Goliath. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if he knew what was going on at the time, because he's out there tending sheep. And so, of course, he follows his father, right? So he goes down there, right? And he sees what's going on here. So he asks, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God, right? Why? Because for 40 days, Goliath would come out and taunt Israel. And you go, okay, guys, who's your representative? I'm here. Who are you guys? You know, you guys are a bunch of wimps. Send out your guys. Come on, let's get this over with. And the Bible says, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. And so this is what David sees. David doesn't know who this Goliath was. David doesn't know what's going on. He comes down there, and what's the first thing he says? Hey, who is this uncircumcised guy? You know, who is this guy that he defies the Israelite army? And David was getting upset probably not only of the situation, because he goes, look, this is the army of the living God. And he's probably looking at all the other guys again. Why aren't you guys doing anything about this? We serve the living God. How could you let him say these things about God? So these things bothered David. But once again, no Israelite, even they, though they knew about God, they knew about the stories of how he freed them from Egypt and how Joshua brought them into the promised land. They knew all these things, but none of them, none of them believed in that enough to challenge Goliath. 
So here comes this young shepherd boy, right? And this is what he said, David says in um, chapter 32 of verse 17. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on the account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. You know, David looks around and he's going, what's the matter with you guys? We serve the living God and you are letting this guy insult our God. So he tells the king Saul, he said, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll go, and I'll go and fight. Now, what was Saul's reply? In verse 33, Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. So what does Saul say? You know, David, I, I love your enthusiasm. I love um, the passion you have. But you can't go out and fight this guy. Look at you. You know, this guy has been a warrior since he was a young man. And look at you. You are only a young man. And I want to talk to all you young people here. Don't let anyone tell you what Saul told David. And if they do, don't listen to them. If they say, you can't do this because you are only a young person, don't believe them. Because this is what Saul did. Because you might think, oh, look at Saul. He, I mean, Goliath, of course. Man, that guy was tall. He was powerful. Man, the guy had 200 pounds of armor on him and a, at least a spear that was over 25 pounds. He is qualified. He's been a warrior since he was young. He's got, he's experienced. I've got nothing. Don't ever, ever, ever let somebody tell you that when you feel God is calling you to do something. When you hear you are only a young person, your, your ears should go up, the hairs on the back of your neck should stand up, and you should say, well, you know what? I serve the living God. It really doesn't matter that I'm a young person, right? But that's what Saul was trying to say. And some of us might feel that way too, where it says, where Saul's words ring true. Saul, the lies that Saul told David ring true in our lives. Well, I can't serve the Lord because I'm not experienced enough. Or I can't serve the Lord. I can't serve God because I don't have the skills. Or I'm just not good enough, right? I'm not good enough. Look at so-and-so. So-and-so has been walking with the Lord since they were a kid. You know, I just came to know the Lord in my adulthood. What good am I, right? But you know what? When somebody tells you, you are only a young person, when somebody tells you, I love your passion, but you are not qualified. God loves it when somebody says this to his children. Because in God's mind, he said to that person who's saying all of these things, well, you think so? Well, watch this, right? So if somebody tells you that you're not qualified to do God's work, God's in heaven, he's just going, oh, this is going to be good. 
You know, Dave just told this person he's not good enough. Dave just told this person he doesn't have the experience. Dave just told this person he's too young. And God's going, all right, watch this. God loves it when that happens. But then David, in verse 34, but then David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after that, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, and I struck it and killed it. And so he, what David is saying, okay, Saul, so you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. Hey, I might be only a shepherd, but, you know, there's lions and bears that attack the sheep. And I didn't run. I went after them. And I'm just looking at this, and I said, oh, my goodness. You know, Dave, Dave goes after them. He grabs the lion's mane and kills it. I mean, if I was a shepherd back then, I'd say, okay, that's one for you, lion. You know, <laughs> you're going to attack a lion? But this is what David did. He, and he goes on to say in verse 36, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied, uh, defied the armies of the living God. He said, hey, I've killed a bear and I've killed a lion. And see that guy over there? See the guy you're afraid of? See the guy that's taunting us? He's going to be just like one of them. Why? Because he defied the armies of the living God. Right? And he goes on in verse 37. He said, The Lord rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. <coughs> and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. What does David say? Where does David's power come from? It says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. David understood that, you know, when he, was a, when he fought a lion or a bear, that there was no doubt that his ability to kill a lion or a bear with just his bare hands and a weapon, you know, came from God and God alone, Right? He said, I'm not the rookie that you think I am. You know, I've been through this before, but it was the hand of the, God, it was the, hand of the Lord who rescued me. David knew it was God and God alone who did the saving. And so now it's time to confront Goliath, verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. So once again, he, we see them coming close together to fight. And Goliath looks David up and down and said, This is an insult. Am I a dog that you're sending this little kid to come after me with a stick? Because what, David didn't have any armor. David did not have a sword. David didn't have a spear, right? Saul wanted to give him those things, but David said, ah, no, I don't know how to use these things. What did David have? He had a sling and he had a rock. And so this Philistine is looking, Goliath looking at him, he goes, are you kidding me? 
Are you kidding me? This is an insult. So once again, he's even telling David that, oh man, this, you're an underdog, man. You're not going to beat me. You know, I'm just going to kill you and this is going to be over, right? Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Goliath didn't take David serious. Why? Because he saw an underdog. He saw somebody who had no chance of beating him, right? But this is David's response in verse 45. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword and a spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine <coughs> army to the birds <coughs> and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. I love that. He said, okay, you think I'm an underdog, but I come in the name of the Lord. And it is what? He said, the Lord is the one that's going to deliver you into my hands. Why? Because the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Right? David understood Yes, I'm an underdog, but man, I've got the almighty God who's going to do the battle for me, right? Why? So the whole world will know that he was God. Because what are the people looking at right now? They're looking at this heavily armored giant going up against this young, small kid with nothing but a sling and rocks. And that's what they're watching, and all of them are, all the Israelites are probably saying, okay, we've lost. You know, what was King Saul thinking when he sent this guy? The Philistines are already probably planning their victory. But what's going on here? God did this so the whole world would know that there was a God in Israel, that there was no way this kid could have done it on his own. And then, verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching his hand into the bag he, and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face forward on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. We all know this story, right? But do we really, really believe this story? Why? Because God uses underdogs to do his will. You will see that all in the Old Testament. Who does God use? God uses unqualified people to do his will. Why? So the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel, right? 
And we see this in first, the New Testament too. In 1 Corinthians 1.26, Apostle Paul says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things in this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things in this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things in this world and the despised things and the things that were not to nullify the things that are. And this is why. So no one may boast before him. So if you don't think you're qualified to do God's work, if you think that in this world eyes they view you as weak, they view you as not wise, they view you as foolish, well, guess what? You are God's perfect candidate to do his will. Why? Because he says what? So no one, when they look at you and they look at what you did, there is no way you could boast and say, I did this. Right? I mean, it would like say, let's say, you know, Bill Gates came. I know he's no longer uh, really at the helm of Microsoft, but let's say he was just working on something and he came up with a new software that would change the world, right? And he came up with that. Most of you would just say, okay, well, I'm glad that he did this, but I don't think you would be impressed. But what if I came out with a new software, okay? The guy who uses his computer as a glorified word processor and just something to look at Amazon or ESPN or, you know, do my Bible research. That's to extent that I use my computer, right? What if I came up with a software that would change this world? You would be like, what? You? You barely know how to use a computer and you don't even use it to its full capacity. You use it like 2% of its capacity. That's all you know. But if I came up with a software that changed the world, right, you'd be going, wow. But there'd be no way that I could say, woo, I did it. I did it. Those computer classes that I took at Cal State Long Beach, hey man, you know, they did its thing. I can't say that. I can't boast about that. And this is why God uses underdogs, because he wants to make it uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is he and he alone was the one who gave you the power to change this world. Why? Because he wants all the glory, and he should get all the glory because he is God. All we do is re reflect God's glory back to him. None of us should be patting ourselves on the shoulder and say, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you. No, all of everything that we do, it should what? That glory should be reflected back to God because God and God alone is the only one who deserves glory, right? And that's what he's after. That's what he's after. So, Right now, if you take stock of your life, if you're sitting here and taking stock of your spiritual experience, your spiritual knowledge, and your spiritual, let's say, gifts, and you say, man, I'm a spiritual underdog, you are a perfect candidate to be used by God. You are a perfect candidate to be used by God. So the question is, how do I go from an underdog 
to a person who God could use to change the world. Because the reason we like underdogs is because they overcome all these different obstacles to make a difference in this world. Maybe some big, maybe some small. But we all want to be, don't we all want to be the person to make changes in this world? Why? Because God put inside each one of us the desire for significance. Now where it goes wrong is when we look for significance from the world and people. Our significance should always come from what? Our relationship with Jesus Christ. But then how, do, how can God use me as an underdog to change the world? And there are a lot of different ways, and we're going to end with this. And we're just going to use, that, use David as an example. Number one, if, um, these are the characteristics of God's underdog. They have an undivided heart towards God. God chose David because of his heart, right? He said, don't look at the outward experience, outward appearances, because I don't look at those things. I don't care about those things. I care about the heart. And who was David? David was a man after God's own heart. So what does that mean? That means everything God wanted, David wanted, right? He would seek out what God wanted, and that was the same thing David wanted. That's what it means to be, have an undivided heart. It's not, hey, I want this. Oh, yes, I want God. God, I want to do your will. But man, I also want this. Oh, the world. Oh, my goodness. I saw this on Amazon. I want this. Oh, I was looking at late night TV and infirmary. Oh, I want that. Or, oh, I saw this person. Oh, it'd be nice to be in a relationship with that person, right? You know, we're looking. Oh, look at this job offer. Oh, I'd like that, right? No. We have to have that undivided heart. Whatever God wants for you, that's what we should want. Why? Because that's the key to answer prayer. Because God will only answer our prayers that are in line with his will. Because his will for us is perfect, whether we think so or not. And so if we have this undivided heart, then God will take care of everything. Everything else will fall in line, right? But that's the first thing. First thing is we have to have an undivided heart towards God because that's what David had. Didn't mean he was perfect because we see what happens in his later life. But they believe, second thing is they believe God is preparing them to change the world. Did you know that God never wastes any experience on his children? Do you know that what you went through yesterday, what you went through two weeks ago, what you went through years ago, God is using that experience to prepare you to change the world. And why do we see that? Because David was a shepherd. David didn't know that one day that he was going to face Goliath. David had no idea that one day he would be the king of Israel. All he knows is I'm the shepherd. I'm out here with sheep, and I'm being attacked by lions and bears. Right? God was using that, those experiences, what? To prepare him to change the world. Man, I don't know how to use a sword. I don't know how to use a, a spear. I have a staff and I have this sling that he used, right? That he perfected and he was really good at using it. But all along, God was using these experiences to prepare him to change the world. So whether you're 
um, a child or a teenager, young adult, you're adult, middle-aged, retired, God is using these experiences to prepare you to do his will. And this is why I hope you don't get discouraged when we go through difficult times. Man, I'd be freaking out if a lion came at me or a bear came at me. But you know, when I'm standing before Goliath with just a sling, I am so glad that God sent a bear and a lion after me, right? Because I said, well, you know what? I saw him take care of those creatures. Man, he'll take care of me against this one nine-foot giant. So right now, you may not see, or you may not even be thankful for the experiences that you're going through. God is using these experiences to prepare you to change the world. Secondly, look for opportunities to change the world, 1 Samuel 7, 13. You know, David has no idea what he's getting himself into. He's just following his father's instruction. Just go and give these um, things to your brothers and see how they're doing. But right away, David, he knows this is an opportunity. He looks over the battlefield and say, hey, this guy is defying the Lord our God. Why aren't you guys doing anything about it? David looked for an opportunity to change the world. And we, if you want to go from an underdog to somebody who changes the world, you have to look for these opportunities. Now, your Goliath might be different things, where truly your Goliath might be to conquer this big nine-foot monster, right? But your Goliath might be something smaller, because God knows what you're capable of, right? But whatever it is, you've got to be looking for those things. And finally, the characteristics of God's underdog is they know that their power to change the world comes from God alone. So if you're sitting here right now, you've got to think that it's not by my might that I'm going to take down the Philistine. It's God that does the battle for us. It's God's power that's going to allow me to change this world. It's not my own skill, right? David knew that. David knew that. The Apostle Paul says that too. And this is why God chose us, right? God chose each one of you to change the world. So why? That people will know that there is a God, that there's a powerful God who's able to do amazing things through unqualified people. Whether it's at your school, whether it's at your work, or wherever it is, God wants you to change those places. God wants you to bring his presence into those places. And the best thing for you to do, especially if you feel like you're an underdog, is learn from the lessons that we learn from David. And you'll change the world. So what's our weekly challenge? I'd like us to read 1 Samuel 17 and 1 Corinthians, whoops, um, what was that, 1. Okay, I forgot the 1 there. 26 through 29. I don't think there are 26 to 29 chapters in there, so... Um, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29 daily. 
identify ways God has been changing you to change the world. I just want you to think about your experiences. Maybe yesterday, two weeks from now, uh, ago, months ago, years ago. Think about all these experiences that you think, God, why are you allowing me to do this? Why are you putting me through this? Why? God doesn't waste these experiences, and God is using them to train you and prepare you to take down your Goliath. Um, Look for opportunities to make a difference in a situation. Be like David. Don't just go to work with your head down and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Or wherever you go, heads up, eyes open. Look for opportunities. And like I said, they don't have to be these big, big opportunities. Just look for opportunities where you could change the world. And then ask for God's strength to allow you to be victorious as an underdog, knowing that you and you alone do not have the strength become the hero that God wants you to be. Then it's only through the power of the living God, as David said, that you could do this. But I guarantee you, and I could promise you, that God wants each and every one of you who are in this room, who are outside, I don't care what your status is, um, whether you're watching on TV right now, that God wants to use you to change this world. And he will if you let him. Let's pray. Worship team, could you please come forward? And let's pray. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, there are so many times in our lives when we look across the battlefield of our lives and we see a Goliath. We see somebody who's nine feet tall, who's wearing 200 pounds of armor, who has a spear that that tip of the spear weighs 25 pounds. We see a man who has a shield bearer, to cover his entire body, to protect it. And we just have a sling, a few stones, and that's it. We feel tremendously outgunned and unqualified. But Father, those are the people that you're looking for. You're not looking for the qualified ones. Father, you're looking for those who are the underdogs. Because it is through them that you do your greatest works. So people will know that there's a living God. So as you sit here right now, the first thing you need to do is have an undivided heart. And that comes by making a choice. Are you willing to make that choice? Are you willing to be a man or a woman who longs after God's own heart? That whatever God wants, you want. And that's where it starts. Because as long as our heart is divided, then God can't use us. So just take a moment to do a heart check. And where is your heart right now? And if it is divided, ask God through the power of his spirit to give you an undivided heart.
Father, I thank you so much for the examples of David and for the stories of people we see in contemporary lives, your children who were underdogs. But Father, you do use them to change the world. Father, I pray that you would use us to change the world. Father, that you would not use qualifications, experience, or age to stop us, knowing that it's you and you alone will deliver the Philistine into our hands. And the battle will be won, not by our strength, but by our, but your strength. And Father, may you and you alone receive the glory from us changing the world through your power. In your son's name I pray, amen.